Good day, listeners. Welcome to today's episode of Say Word. Say Word is a podcast we started. The goal is to inform, offer diverse perspectives, and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening in Toronto and in our world that our viewers can connect with. Now, we started this podcast to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name, and we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I am your host, Ahmed, a.k.a. Mr. Baker, a.k.a. every day is an opportunity to be a better version of ourselves. Helping me make today's episode a success are three brothers, Hirsch, a.k.a. I'll be with you in five minutes. I hear that all the time when him and I get off the phone and I never end up hearing back. We got Hassan, a.k.a. Mr. Shazam. We got Elsie, a.k.a. Larone, a.k.a. Elsie Belafonte. For those of you listening today, Batter is not going to be with us today, unfortunately, for our episode. Come on now, dog. Come on, man. He was attending to daddy duties, but sends his best, and we will have him join us for our next episode soon enough. Gentlemen, thank you all for being here today. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Good, good. How's the week been? Any highlights? Anything worth mentioning from the week? Well, I discovered Punjabi tribe music, and I've been spending my time wondering where this has been all my life. <laughs> so there's this track called Offline by Dilji Dosanjh. Especially you on it. You got to get up to speed. You got to get up to speed on this, man. You're Brampton, man. I'm a Brampton, so I will say... Yeah, got to That's... If you can listen to that track without bopping your head once, where you're a hater. Hmm. I think that's been the highlight for me. It's the beauty of Toronto, right? It's the beauty of our mixing cultures. You get to explore something that I gave it a try, and little did I know it was a banger. Hold on. What? You're saying Punjabi trap music? That's what he said. Yeah, yes. I think. Wow. Yeah. I was, that's yeah. what he said. I wasn't fully yeah. crossed. That. I, was, I thought you were saying Punjabi trap music. I was like, okay, this conversation. Yeah, bro, I just gave it that moniker, bro. I, I don't know a single word from the lyrics. So it could be like an R&B track that just has like a trap beat to it. I don't know. I'll, I'm going to look at the translation, actually, after we get off this call. I classify it as Punjabi trap music. And when you hear the song, then you'll know what I'm talking about. I need, so, I need to hear it now. I need to hear this. Yeah, song. yeah. I'm going to send it to you guys. I like to listen to foreign tracks here and there, even though I don't understand the words. I enjoy some of the melodies. I know a few of our listeners will relate. When you hear a sound, you like the sound, kind of gravitate to the sound too. Facts, facts. 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 Agreed. Punjabi trap music, you see the things we discover during the summer in quarantine. The NBA is in a bubble right now, and that's one of the unique features about summer 2020. The NBA season resumed in Florida at the ESPN Wide World Sports Center located in Disney World. 22 NBA teams have quarantined themselves from the rest of society and the rest of the world. So really exciting time for ball fans. Now, as of today, both the Lakers and the Bucks, if I'm not mistaken, clinched the number one seed in each of their conferences. But... Anything is possible between now and September 30th of who ends up in the finals. And if it goes to game seven, who's going to win it all on October 13th? And I think the question we ask as Torontonians is, can the Raptors repeat, especially without a top five star? Last year was an exciting time. There's a new NBA champion, and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. If you've seen downtown during the Raptors uh, day parade, it was insane. And again, can the Raptors repeat? Can they do a repeat without a top five star, without Kawhi 
on our lineup. Hirsch, what would be the case for the Raptors winning it this year without Kawhi? And what are the things that need to be in their favor for that to happen? Okay, so first off, I want to acknowledge how proud I am of Canada's only team. I know you guys probably feel like this too. There's something about this team that just makes it easy to cheer for them. And now the Raptors have a title. But when other teams come to uh, challenge Toronto, they're speaking to champions, right? And this goes for you, Aaron Gordon. I don't know if you guys saw that game. We called Lowry the B-word. And Lowry said, A36 is my room number. When you come around this way, you will get caught. So the man is from Philly. He is about that action. Like, I don't know why Lowry mm-hmm. keeps having these issues with light-skinned guys, man. He had an issue last year with Ben Simmons, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we take pride in this team, right? So for me, I want to level with the audience. I'm a born-again Raptors fan. I have to come straight with you guys. Let y'all know that I'm an NBA nomad. So during the Raptors' dark ages, took my talents to South Beach. I always loved Dwayne Wade's game. Been following following him since he was drafted. I always liked the Miami Heat. I don't know what it was about, like, South Beach and the team. But now that he's retired, yeah, I felt like I was in an awkward place. You know, that guy is really the reason that I was following that team. Yeah, I guess it was easy to kind of jump back on the bandwagon because the Raptors figured things out with management and whatnot and then got back to a place where they became a contender. So getting back to the topic at hand about whether the Raptors can repeat, there's a couple of reasons that I will say yes. One, like I mentioned before, they have that championship DNA. So they've been through the uh, trenches. They have that resolve, that swagger. And I think this is an understated factor. Uh, in terms of chemistry, because with the lack of 20,000 fans roaring behind you, the bench players, I don't think won't, they won't get that crowd bump that they're used to that makes them perform better. So I know you guys see that when during the playoffs, you see players, lesser known players kind of step up and and gain that confidence from the crowd. So that's pretty much gone. Uh, So I think it really comes down to the basics for every team. What your chemistry is like, what your execution is like in terms of coaching. We have the best of the best right now uh, when it comes to that. And I think people have an appreciation for Nick Nurse, but this really can't be like overstated. His schemes are fun to watch. The seamless transitions on defense from zone to zone and man to man in the middle of plays, shifting, reshaping on the fly, like increasing the pace on offense and not missing a beat. That kind of precision comes with time. They've proven that they are a credible threat and still being a top five offense and defense, we have to give them their dues. They are a credible threat to repeat because I am a realist at the end of the day. The only caveat that I have for their chances to repeat is that the Raptors have to have superhuman performances, either from individuals or as a collective. So whether it's Pascal, Kyle, Fred, or anybody else on the team, they're going to have to play out of their mind because the thing about the playoffs and the NBA finals, there's those players whose greatness defeats all schemes and plans. So as much as you scheme for Jordan, Jordan's going to step up. As much as you scheme for Kawhi, LeBron, like there's times where coaches you see scratch their head. Like the best players at the end of the day will defeat the best like schemes. So for me, I think if if Pascal can step up like that, if the Raptors can do that by committee, they have a chance. And the team that comes to mind is like the 0-4 Pistons and Chauncey Billups at the time that the Pistons were facing off against the Lakers. He had a quote where he said, we always knew that they had the better 
like individuals, uh, meaning like Shaq and Kobe, but we never lost confidence or we always knew that we were the better team. That's an interesting, interesting case you made. And yeah. I think to your point, the superhuman performance is critical for the Raptors to, to kind of have going into it and standing any chance against some of the Titans that we're seeing today in, in the bubble. Lerone, I'm going to take a guess that you probably have your reasons for the Raptors not winning it. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to take a shot in the dark here. Uh, no, it's um, you actually you might have that wrong because I... I, I may have that wrong. Please, yeah, prove, yeah. Me, prove me wrong, please. I like being wrong. What's your stance or what's your take? I, I think they have a great chance of winning. And um, I actually think they actually have a just as great of a chance to win this year as they had last year, primarily because the East is, it looks weaker. The only real obstacle I see in the East now is Giannis and the Bucks. The 76ers lost Ben Simmons. So that could change their offense in a way that is helpful because with the dynamic between Simmons and Embiid, Sometimes there's a little uh, tug of war going on there in terms of where the ball should be in critical moments. But now maybe because Ben Simmons is not there, Joel Embiid may go into the low block a little bit more and operate where he's most effective instead of being on the three-point line. So that may make them more efficient. I'm waiting to see. But in the East, it's, it's wide open. And okay. I am a Laker fan. There's no doubt about that. But I did get some gratification from watching the Raptors beat the Lakers because Really? Uh, huh. Yeah, I, I did because I don't like the disrespect that the team is getting because they don't have Kawhi. The team has always been a good team. Whether or not there's a superstar, it's always been a good team, uh, 55 to 60 win team. They just had to get over that championship hump. And I think Lowry, what he's showing me now is that he's ready to take that step as a leader. He's ready to take that step as the guy. So I'll see how he performs in the playoff. I hope he doesn't lay any eggs. I remember that he had a zero-point performance last year. I hope yeah. he doesn't replicate that this year. And he, he'll have to be the guy. He'll have to be the leader. Yeah. I'm expecting great things from Van Vliet. I'm expecting great things from Siakam. Hopefully, he's been working on his right hand. But mm -hmm. particularly from a coaching standpoint, I think the Raptors coach, Nick Nurse, I think he's the best coach in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. And I think they have a great shot to get to the finals. And when they get to the finals, who knows, in this environment, in this bubble environment, where the crowd doesn't play as much of a, a role in the the outcome, because when you have fans and you're on the road, sometimes that brings some nerves and you may perform mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at a, a level that's not optimal, right? But with no fans and you feel like you're in the gym and you're playing rec, I could see them playing pretty loose and who knows? So I give them a great chance, a better chance than, I may even go as far as to say they have a better chance this year than last year. I have to disagree with you. To say that they have a greater chance than last year though, I think is ultimately, it's not appreciative of kind of what Kawhi did during that championship run, you know? Right, right. Like that time where he came through against the Bucks, that time where they were on the road in Philadelphia and things looked shaky. Remember that step back three he hit over Joel Embiid? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. like they, there are critical moments from last year's playoff run where the Raptors, and I, I think that that's what's showing in this year's team, Kawhi's influence you can tell on this team, like whether they're down 10, whether they're down 20, whether they're up 10, whether they're up 20, there's this calm, like resolve that this team has. Right. Um, but I think that came from their experience in having Kawhi, having that championship DNA and kind of seeing him perform in clutch moments. So although I agree with you and I, 
in terms of like the Raptors having a good chance, by no means do I think they have a better chance. And I think in the playoffs, when they start to go up against the Kawhis of the world, when they start to go right. up against the Giannis's of the world, right. that's when we'll see because that's when the superstars elevate their play, right? So can Pascal take that role that Kawhi took last year? Having faith in him, and we want to see him succeed, but it's still TBD. Like you were saying, it's a big part of like how do they keep together or keep their identity together and keep pushing through in the face of like the last the Celtics game that they had, in which mm-hmm. they they lost, I believe, by twenty, and nobody could yeah, really get yeah. it going. There were moments yeah. where they were trying to catch up, but nobody could really get it going, and it needs to yeah. be a specific person or a yeah. team effort that always pushes it through. You think if we repeat, we're going to get the respect that we deserve on an, on an American level? I think we're going to get more animosity. That would change a lot yeah. of conversations. That would. Yeah, it, it, it'll be grudging. It'll be grudging because you know they don't want to give that, that accolade out. But what choice do they have? We did it under the worst of circumstances at that point. But I don't want to take away anything from what Kawhi did last year. I just think the dynamic this year lends itself mm-hmm. to, to their mm-hmm. style. Because it's more of like yeah. a gym style. It's not like one player, here's the ball, do what you what you want to do. It's more like teams, and it's, it's more the X's and O's of basketball in that bubble from what I've exactly. seen so far. Yeah, it was yeah. a mindset, I think. And K- Dwayne Casey giving OG's first assignment, I think, as a player in the in the conference finals as guarding LeBron. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't do shit against yeah. him. You remember that shot that he yeah. hit over him and just was super humiliating. Yeah. yeah. Versus him facing him as a Laker and boxing him out at every opportunity, swatting the yeah. ball. He, he yeah. couldn't test him. So it was like a nice yeah. 180. And I knew I they know. were going to take the L when, when Dwayne Casey was taking the TTC. I saw like a report wow. where Dwayne Casey arrived by train. Wow. I was like, why is this wow. guy? <laughs> why is this guy on the train? <laughs> I mean, that dude is super rigid in his He's not even a politician. I was like, it's not, well, there's not even a political, like, wasn't he reading like a newspaper or something too? Wasn't he reading yeah. like a newspaper or something? Yeah, I was like, cool, yeah. I get it. You're a man of the people, but bro, like anybody who can afford to like avoid the TTC and its antics are is doing so, right? Actually, yeah. what, I'm so glad you brought that up. So I think it's safe to say that we're, 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 there's actually a consensus. I, I didn't think that there would be that the Raptors actually have a chance. Uh, I'm not as well-versed as basketball as you guys are, but... I personally don't think. I think there's so many behemoths and giants that actually have a way greater shot, but that's that's a story for another day. I want to get into our say word moment. And this is the part that actually helps us from pivoting from our fun topics into our main topic. Speaking of Dwayne Casey and the TTC, I wanted to actually talk about the TTC because the TTC is a very, it's a very interesting place. Excellent segment. It's a very interesting place, and it's it's one of those places where folks from all walks of life, and I mean all walks of life, convene to get to their destinations. <laughs> and luckily for you all, I'm not going to try to turn this into a philosophical moment. But I know that there's a factor out there, or there's a stat out there somewhere, where four out of five Torontonians have had an interesting experience on the TTC. And by the way, I made up that stat. But um, would love Probably to hear it. It sounded real. But I would love to hear from you guys. You know, what's uh, maybe Hassan? You can you can share with us. Uh, oh my God! <laughs> some of like your worst experiences on the TTC. I remember one time where I was trying to look for a, a seat because it was just impossible to stand. There was just way too many pe- people in each other's face, and they were just bunched in at this specific car that I got into a section. 
And I'm like, these people are way too close for this to be normal. And I, and I make it out to the other side and I realize there's a whole section just free, just empty. I'm like, what the, nobody wants to sit here. So I go over there and I sit there and I'm like, wow, this is, this is amazing. Like there's a whole section here. Nobody wants to sit here. It's great. I'm sitting here. And a second later, the smell hit me. It's, it's like if you left garbage to like decompose for too long and it was just like, just hanging, just hanging over you. Jeez. Yeah, for like weeks. It was it was pretty bad. Even the travel between um train stops, because uh, I I live closer to the North York West End area and going up from say St. George or like downtown area, there's always this stretch between Egg West and St. Clair West that exactly. takes forever to exactly. get through. Oh forever. And it is one of the <laughs> most forever. annoying portions. I've I've been stuck there at 30 for 30 minutes at a time sometimes just stuck yeah. in between they, they yeah. just stop the train i don't know why yeah. Yeah. um That's, I i've been that. stuck there for almost 45 minutes at one time as far as a, like a record-breaking moment goes hmm. i could go on all day but i feel like i'm just taking over. i'm just taking over i can't i can't i'm seeing flashbacks i have to tell you man that was a little bit of a rookie mistake Whenever you see a car empty, there's a reason it's empty. You should it, know that. It was. It was. It was. <laughs> always, oh, always man. be suspicious, man. I was living at uh, near Wilson Subway Station. I was getting off the train station to catch a bus. And the bus was supposed to leave, let's say, at 1.45. Sorry, before you get into it, uh, upstairs bus loop or downstairs bus loop? Ups, upstairs. Under that station very well. Okay. Good upstairs. question. Upstairs. Very good question. I'm upstairs, and I can see the bus driver hanging around, it's like 153, let's say, and he was supposed to leave at 145. So I politely go to this man and I'm like, hey, um, I need to get home, so is everything okay? Like I try to be very polite. This guy starts giving me attitude. Now, I take this bus regularly, so I see him often. This man starts giving me attitude every time I get on the bus, slick comments, what have you. So I'm like, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. So I call the TTC. And I file a complaint about his behavior. He didn't fix it after I filed that complaint. It just made it worse because he knew I was the one who filed the complaint just based on our interactions, right? So one day, he deviated from what he was supposed to do to accommodate a customer. He stopped somewhere he wasn't supposed to stop, which I felt was cool. This customer exits through the front door. When I get to my stop, the bus is empty. This man tells me, you have to exit through the back door. I'm like, wait, what? He's like, no, you have to exit through the back door. I'm like, I'm already in the front of the bus. Can you open the door? He's like, no, no. You see the signs? There's signs that say, please exit through the back door. At this point, I get really ticked off. I'm like, what, what is this? Am I Rosa Parks? Like, why are you telling that me? Is the funniest I'm like, what's up with this guy, man? So, um, so I sit down and I'm like, I'm not. I'm not getting off this bus. You're, you have to open the front door. Like, what is this? I immediately get into civil rights mode. I'm like, what? Right? So I sit down. I sit down. This man calls his dispatcher. Before I know it, police car, these guys come into the bus. Uh, oh so they're talking God. to me. They're talking to me. Very nice police officers, by the way, telling me, hey, you know what happened? So when I explain what happened, they immediately turn to him. And they're like, you denied him the ability to exit through the front door. Like, why did you not open the front door? Mm -hmm. So... Another police car pulls up while I'm talking to these two police officers and they start talking to the bus driver and he comes to me. He doesn't know my side of the story. And he just says, OK, so here's what you did. I was like, well, OK, I see what's going on. You haven't gotten my side of the story, but you just want to you have a profile of me in your mind. So I refuse to talk to him. 
So when he realized that I'm someone that could actually speak up for myself and I actually had a case, he calmed it down and I said, he said to me, don't worry about the driver. He has to deal with his dispatcher. You have to mm-hmm. deal with me. Mm-hmm. So I said, I do not have to deal with you. Mm-hmm. You have me in my neighborhood with two police cars around my bus looking crazy mm-hmm. for something foolish. And this yeah. guy, because his ego was hurt because I called the TTC on him because he was being horrible customer service wise, you have mm-hmm. me in this awkward position. So that was one of the more, um, that was one of, that was a very, very uh, weird interaction. And I still carry it with me that something so, so simple can turn into something else. And all of a sudden, I'm in a civil rights phase. I'm, I'm talking about back of the bus, and I'm like, "What is this?" Right. So that was one of those memories that that'll always stick with me. I would do the exact same thing again. I would not exit through the front of that bus. There's no way. Like, good for you. That yeah. guy was being weird. You know. I almost had hope in your story when you told me about how he stopped in the middle, and I was like, "Oh, this guy is probably, you know, when 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 he dropped when Lerone gets off, they were probably going to have a heart to heart, but it, it it went." Zero to a hundred real quick. Ersh, I know you got something. You, you you lived by a TTC station for a while, mm-hmm. but you still do it. And, and um, I'm sure there, you're bound to have had something mm-hmm. worth sharing. I have many things, bro. Like, I hate the TTC with a passion, um, even though they're a vital service, and I'll give them that. So when people tell me they travel to Japan and the train system there is so efficient that if you are late, they issue you a slip that you can take to your workplace. Bro, if the TTC did the same thing, I think we'd run out of trees. Because every single time I take the TTC, I would say about like 40 to 50%. I'm not gonna exaggerate, say every single time, but 40, 50% of the time I take the TTC, there is a delay that almost makes it feel personal. Have you ever been on the TTC and you genuinely were like, you guys are trolling me, right? Like I left 20 minutes early and the delay is 20 minutes. You know, the train um, operator, if you notice there on his door, there's a mirror. And I think that mirror is there for a reason. Cause I've walked up to that door and I've been like, I just want to bang the door. And scrapped the man. <laughs> Even worse, so much. if the man moves it inch by inch, it's like it's already <laughs> intolerable that I'm sitting there. This is like diet terrorism because you're holding me underground. No train <laughs> service, no phone service. My family doesn't can't reach me. My wife can't reach me. Like it's akin to kidnapping. Okay, that's the truth. That's the real, that's the truth. If you can't reach anyone and you're like underground and the man's not, he says, yo, we're sorry for the delay. And I'm like, you're not sorry. My employer is looking at me like, yo, why are you late? And I'm like the TTC. And they're like, you said the TTC yesterday. I'm like, yes, it was yesterday and it's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow. Honestly, the TTC to me, is like akin to mid two thousands Raptor games where you could be up forty and somehow a part of you knew that you would still lose. There's a special called like the Prince of Persia or something. I think it was like the biblical story of Musa, aka Moses. The Prince yeah, of Egypt. The Prince of Egypt, yes. Yeah. The Prince of Egypt. That iconic scene where he puts his staff down, opens up the sea, and the people of Israel have to walk uh, through the sea. Okay? Yeah. I've asked myself is that walk longer than the Spadina tunnel? Like I was just <laughs> watching because I went to UFT. Uh, the Spadina tunnel is like, bro, I don't even know how many steps you have to take to get from one side to the other side. 
And yeah. there's remnants <laughs> of that walker on the side that no longer exists. So this is akin to the TTC. It's like psychological damage because they said, yo, we built something back in the day that would have made this a more of express journey, but it's no longer there. Oh, TTC, oh, man. Oh, it's a place where yeah. you lose faith in humanity and, and you gain faith in humanity all at the same time. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Gentlemen, let, let's focus our main attention to our, our main topics. What I wanted to, to shift into is mental health in the black community. I don't know about for you gentlemen, but for me, talking about mental health was not, was not a thing growing up in a, in a Somali household. As I started to get older, I saw that it was, or I realized it was the same thing with other black communities here in Toronto. So folks from other African communities and also in the Caribbean. Artie Patel, uh, who's an editor for the Huffington Post, wrote a powerful piece a few years ago about the stigma of mental health in the Black community. And she featured actually a psychologist here from Toronto, Dr. Natasha Brown, who was featured in the Post. For Dr. Brown, she often works with Caribbean clients. And she also agreed that not only is mental health a difficult thing to discuss in our communities, but it's also quite hidden within the Black community. And, and I think, and, and whether you agree with me on this or not, gentlemen, I think we've made a significant improvement in terms of talking about or having the conversation or the, the beginning early conversations about mental health, but I think there's still a long way to go. Hirsch, you know, I know this is a topic you're also very, very passionate about. Why do you think, especially within the African the Caribbean community, why do you think it's now important more than ever to have the conversation around, around mental health in our community? The lack of understanding of mental health issues. You hear the lack of understanding in everyday conversations with people. I'm sure in Toronto, you've heard someone say, yo, that man is crazy. Or like, yo, that, that girl is crazy. And it's like, no, they're not crazy they might have an undiagnosed mental health issue. So we just refer to like the easiest term, uh, which is crazy and it's stigmatizing. Um, it doesn't get at the heart of the issue. It doesn't help the person who's dealing with consequences of having a mental health issue. So I think continuing to push the envelope on awareness is number one. The generational trauma that we see in our communities is playing out on the streets, right? We're seeing a lot of youth losing their lives, perhaps to like <laughs> beefs that could have been resolved through mediation. That's why I'm proud that there's a friend of mine who started a nonprofit organization called Generation Chosen. I'll plug it um, because it's devoted to enhancing the emotional intelligence of young adults from underserved communities through confronting mental health obstacles. And it's very important because emotional intelligence can be the difference between life and death, right? So for our communities, it takes on a heightened importance in summary, I'll just say I think there is a lot of damage um, that happens to the individual dealing with the mental health issue and also friends and family who also have challenges trying to support the person without that awareness that's there. I hear people all the time say, I'm not crazy. They, they look at it as a reactionary thing to do. So if you have like a period of um, psychosis, then you go seek mental health. But there's preventative measures you take. If you have conf uh, issues with conflict resolution, seeking psychotherapy may be able to help. If you have issues with relationship management, seeking psychotherapy may be able to help you in those, in those phases. So we need to stop making people think that you, can only, you only need these services if you're going through a crisis. And I think that's the assumption that most people have. We need to focus more on maintenance and living a healthy life thinking about mental health as part of health overall. 
Yeah, um, it, was, it was a good point. And like to, you mentioned this earlier, to your point, it it can be the difference between life and death, just like it is with physical health, right? It's the same with mental health. So the valid points all around. Hassan, did you want to add anything to that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do agree with Hersh's point, even with regards to seeing a therapist or anything like that. Um, it's viewed with uh, extreme amount of caution to many in the black community and in many ways because they feel like they have to bear themselves and everything that they feel like they can't share with, you know, their family members, their close friends. Um, so why would they, you know, share this with this complete stranger? To be honest, in a lot of those types of settings, because they're so removed from the friend group and so removed from family members, it is a healthier place to unload as opposed to people who you feel like that information can change how they look at you. It needs to be more normalized. A lot yeah. of kids are going through things in the schools, um, whether it be elementary, whether it be post-secondary, that are very serious. And, and in those spaces, they often do feel alone. And we've said this before in uh, previous episodes with regards to uh, the habits that you form at that early stage in your life and how they persist into adulthood and you know, learning to hold things up inside can create, you know, much, much worse problems down the road for you when you uh, when the person has reached uh, adulthood and uh, is trying to be a functioning adult in in a functioning society. Yeah, it's a multi-layered issue, but I feel like it's being it's being talked about more. But it the stigma, the stigma is still there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You bring an interesting point about early habits that carry with you into adulthood. And I'm not sure for you, too, because. You, we're, we're all from Somali households. We're always encouraged not to talk about not only just our feelings, but share things with strangers, right? That's like a big, big no-no uh, growing up. Like mm -hmm. you just don't, like you absolutely don't. So it's like sometimes the idea of seeking a therapist and, 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 and sharing and expressing how you feel and talking about those things is kind of, it's, it's something that's like completely unknown and bizarre for, for, for a lot of people. Laurent, I'm curious. I'm completely, and I'm sure for Hirsch and Hassan, we're, we're, we're completely uh, oblivious um, to kind of the stigmas that, you know, that, that are them in, within the Caribbean community. Was there, was there anything that you, you, you thought you'd, you'd want to share um, with what you've seen growing up and, and, and some of the stigmas associated with mental health? Yeah, I think the Caribbean community is much like any other community that identifies black globally. Usually most global issues tend to affect black people more significantly. You see that with coronavirus, it's a global issue, but our community is more affected by it because of a lack of access, right? So when you're talking about things like mental health issues, these are things that uh, affect everyone, but it affects us a little bit differently because we don't have as much access, right? In the Caribbean community, it was much like you were saying, um, we grew up with this distrust of like other people or outsiders, like you don't trust people. So the idea to go, the idea of uh, going to talk to a therapist is outlandish to us. Cause it's like, I don't know this person. Like I'm not gonna, just gonna sit and talk to them and vent or what have you. So yeah, I think there's a lot of that at play. I think in terms of the awareness and the removing the stigma around it, I see that some, I see that's something that's happening that's very encouraging. A lot yeah. of very notable figures like celebrities and people who are perceived as, uh, you know, tastemakers in society are being open about their experience going to therapy and what have you. And that's created, that's making it, uh, that's normalizing it 
Uh, you look at guys like Jay Z has spoken openly about going to therapy. Charlemagne the God, he he religiously speaks on his experience with you know going to therapy. So these are things that make it somewhat cool in our community now. So if you have access, the stigma is being removed, and I think that's important because I think the more we don't get into the subject is the more people look for other more harmful coping mechanisms and j cole had an album he based around that i think it's called kod where we look for all these other outlets to address trauma and this is a universal thing like we all the human experience once you're going through this human experience you will you will experience trauma right and there will be things that bother you things that hurt you obstacles you go through that you have to overcome but if you look at our community, we've normalized the things to an extent that are harmful coping mechanisms. So if you look in the black community, we always talk about the fact that there's a liquor store on every corner, right? Look at the opioid crisis. Like this is not mm -hmm. something that's specific to the black community. It affects every community pretty much. And young people are getting into these drugs and what have you. And yeah. they're really just looking to escape whatever their reality is. If it's, you know, if it's a painful reality to them. Um, I think now the momentum towards making sure that people understand that you do have access and you can get help and there's a healthier way of dealing with your problems. I think that's, I think that's very good. And the further we get away from those harmful coping mechanisms, uh, the better we'll be for it. So there's that. I, I do see, I do see a shift in the way people are thinking. It's very important to have these discussions because Sharing experiences can help each, we can help each other by sharing our experience, right? The more aware you become of um, mental health issues and, and the conversation about mental health, and the more you educate yourself on it, the more it helps you in your interactions with people. Because sometimes people talk to you through the prism of their trauma, if you get what I'm saying. Sometimes you may say something that seems harmless to someone, and they'll respond in a volatile way. Like, hey, how was your day? And like, what do you mean how my day was? And you would take that personally, typically, but when you're someone who has understanding of mental health issues, you're like, okay, there's some trauma associated with this response. Yeah. Like this isn't a, a natural, healthy response. There's a reason why this person is responding in this way. And sometimes we write that off as, oh, that's just how they are. Oh, that's just how that person is. That's how, you know, that, that's just them, right? But the more you get into understanding the you know intricacies of mental health issues and trauma you understand no that's not just how they are there's a reason for that and understanding that will help you will help you interact with them on a healthier level if that makes sense so yeah. i think it's a great conversation to have it's a great a conversation that's particularly pertinent to the black community because of the lack of access that we have like if you look at black communities well, liquor stores are a staple in the black community you have an entire industry with the music industry where they glorify substance abuse and alcohol abuse we we glorify that you can't go to a party without people drinking insane amounts of alcohol and mm -hmm. uh, some of it is just to have fun but some of it is escapism and yeah we have to understand that for what it is and the more we have these conversations the more we'll be able to get into healthier ways of coping with you know the traumas of life which we all go through i agree with the uh the fact that it's a good thing that this this conversation is moving forward I just, I think it's not moving forward fast enough. Um, and that's really sure. my contention. Like it's true. We're battling decades Agreed. and decades and decades of uh, harmful approaches, uh, misunderstandings of mental health. So as you mentioned, Lerone, like 
drugs and alcohol have been used as a coping mechanism and it's part of culture when we go to work where's the line between the the coworker that is drinking to have quote unquote a fun time and drinking to kind of drink their pain away you know mm-hmm. and we're seeing kids with drug overdoses now although this conversation is progressing there are lives being lost on almost a daily basis um, yeah. because it's not moving fast enough like yeah. we, it's cool the acknowledgement thing is cool and we have to bring it down to ground level that's why i think it's going to be really exciting to bring on a guest for, uh, perhaps like Dwayne um, Brown who is the friend that I sp- that I spoke of earlier um, or one of the people leading the charge with generation chosen to get an understanding of what it what it feels like for youth on the ground today the landscape today is much different than when we were in high school it, the issues that people deal with in the past have transformed right yeah, um, yeah. but overall that the <laughs> lack of emotional intelligence lack of understanding around issues around trauma and poverty and how that impacts people from a mental health perspective it's just it's too slow like wow. how many years are we going to get stuck in awareness we're still out here like advocating for hey let's have a conversation and i feel like come on we've 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 been we've spending so many years like this yeah yeah i wanted to say yeah. one thing if i if i may just one thing uh you mentioned i want to just give a shout out to people in the basketball community who have been helping to push the conversation forward, like the Kevin Loves and the DeMar DeRozan, the former Raptor DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. Shout out to them because a lot of people see this conversation as something where people who have these issues go through some super tra- traumatic experience. And sometimes it's not the case where it's something that's so glaring that it's like, oh my God, this, this horrible thing happened. Sometimes it's just the pressure of maybe performing at your job. So DeRozan, he's spoken openly about, you know, the pressure of being that guy and the pressures yeah. on the court. And Kevin Love, if, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a, a moment in, I think, the 2018 season when he had to take a break. And, yeah, um, from anxiety. Coach, yeah. yeah, the coach had to take a break too, just because of the scrutiny on the team and the pressure mm-hmm. they, they felt to perform. So that's where I have to commend guys like LeBron also because he's been under the spotlight. He's been in the spotlight his entire adult life, like dating back to high school with people with expectations and, and what have you. And he's dealt with that in a stellar way. So he should be commended for that. Yeah, it's a conversation that is not moving forward fast enough because you hear people say things like, oh, they're millionaires. They shouldn't have any complaints about anything. You know, it's not yeah. uh, our role to try to... Um, legislate someone else's experience or to define someone else's experience so the conversation is is moving forward but it i agree with her she's not moving fast enough yeah and Lauren, you mentioned yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned this too um you made a sorry about the hassan but i, I wanted to get this uh-huh. point across but it's i think education is so important in terms of what types of mental illnesses there are out there this is a means to like foster more empathy and more compassion towards those who are facing it right and for us giving the benefit of the doubt wherever every opportunity that we get to someone who might be suffering right because a lot of people are suffering and i think now even if you think about what's going to come out of you know this whole pandemic a lot of people are 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 inside their homes and now it's starting to get better with like the phases um, coming in place but there's going to be a lot of a lot of repercussions of what's happened from from the pandemic that i think it's it's really important that even if you're not um, yourself suffering from from any sort of mental health illnesses. It's important to educate yourself on what's out there, 
on anxiety disorders, on, on depression, so that you're at least a lot more compassionate and understanding towards those who are who are suffering. Hassan, uh, did you want to make a last point before we move on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, people feel forced to choose the need between sharing, you know, what it is that they're going through or just exposing what it is that they're going through with with others, as opposed to numbing that pain with uh, the substances that are available and how much it's championed or how much it's available, uh, readily available for people to partake in. I think it says a lot. And uh, for all, obviously, everyone that was mentioned whose uh, organizations are trying to put as much effort into securing more attention towards mental health as a whole, it is happening much too slow. And it definitely needs to pick up in something that is more more substantive as, as opposed to just uh, awareness. Thanks a lot, Hassan, for sharing your thoughts. I wanted to Thank move you. on to our last uh, to our last topic for today, which is which is on vaccine or the vaccine debate, and it's it's pretty huge, especially with everything happening with COVID nineteen. And as for our listeners, vaccines are a form of preventative medicine to protect the population from diseases and infections. And I think as of recently, actually for even as long as vaccines have been around, there have been trends, especially in this part of the world in the West, where uh, families and parents refuse to vaccinate their children due to numerous reasons and perceived fears. Now, this is not to talk about where you stand on the debate or what's right or what's wrong. It's not our place to say, but wherever you stay on the debate, I think it still makes for an interesting discussion. And for our listeners, we're going to actually be posting up a photo on Instagram for you to get involved in the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. But for you gentlemen, Hirsch, actually, we'll, we'll start with you. In, in your experience, help our listeners understand where does the distrust for vaccination stem from? When people question the validity of a vaccine or uh, the need to get a vaccine, I think it could stem from mistrust of government. Like there's some conspiracy theorists out there. So I think when you ask for conformity from society, naturally there's going to be people that take a step back and say, like, why do I have to do what you're asking me to do? So I think that's kind of natural. And I'm not, so I'm not going to focus on the fringes. I'm talking about someone who gen, is genuine in terms of their critical assessment of vaccines. Yep. Um, I think for a parent, um, the concentration of vaccines within a short period of time may be something that they worry about. So some people are concerned that it will overwhelm their child's immune system. Uh, mm -hmm. and they have to work with their doctor, right? And I find when you speak to a doctor or a medical practitioner, empathetic ones, they'll, they'll remain professional, you know, and they're not going to belittle families or individuals' concerns. Um, they'll explain the evidence and the natural history of things like autism sensitivity and, um, for example, it being apparent at the age that the MMR vaccine is given and you generally sense people hopefully will listen and understand and take these facts into consideration uh, and maybe they can work with their doctor for example to come up with an alternative vaccine schedule so maybe they just um, you know take some time or space between the vaccines if their concern is like oh this is going to overwhelm um, my child's vaccine or my child's system i think where we make a mistake is when we just denounce people that are in seeking to learn, right? Like, I don't think it's acceptable to just be like, take this vaccine, 
Otherwise, you're just a complete idiot, and like I don't have to explain anything to you. Like, no, something you're you're telling someone for the greater good of society. Um, and the irony in this whole debate or this whole like discussion about vaccines is the choice to delay or forego vaccinations um, in the mm -hmm. developed world. Ironically, is a testament to the success of vaccines in the past, where life-threatening viruses have nearly been eliminated in these developed nations for decades. So the effectiveness of vaccines are what even allow people to kind of, without feeling like they're in threat, um, choose to delay and think about like uh, the speed at which will they take these vaccines. And vaccines obviously are to promote herd immunity. Um, mm -hmm. and, if, and if people start foregoing their vaccines or don't want to take them, it's more holes and chinks in the armor. Right. So we kind of all depend on each other to educate ourselves. So for the people that want to have a skeptical eye, sure, like go and seek out and learn. For the people who want to promote vaccine use, OK, go ahead, but back up your um, arguments with facts. So when yeah. you're go when these two camps engage in a dialogue, the noise isn't ratcheted up. Like all you see is like, you're dumb. No, you're dumb. You're dumb. You're dumb. And yeah. And people have a right to be concerned. When, with COVID, all you hear is like vaccine is being developed, but the speed at which it's being developed is unnatural, right? Like vaccines have to go through many trials. The, the speed at which they're developed, like this is, is, is years, um, years out. So, so to have something boom a year in the market, come on, like you can't negate people's like suspicion and be like, oh, okay, I don't know if I naturally want to take this. And some people have just hit in the background. So whereas they had an opportunity to be educated, they're like, whoa, this is too much. Like people are going to jump on me or attack me from my views. I'm just going to not even engage in the dialogue. And I find there is a huge camp of those people around. And I feel like, yeah, we get lost. Like we got to acknowledge there's a reason. There's a reason people hold these skepticisms and it's an opportunity to educate them instead of belittling them. I think vaccinations are great. I think they should be taken um, where required, but I'm not going to just write someone off if they have questions about it. No, that's important for debate and dialogue, especially when you're trying to not necessarily get your point across to the other person, but seeking to understand, right? I think it's it's so crucial to, to make sure there's not that ridicule that happens in the process. Hassan, you're nodding your head. What, 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 anything you wanted to add to that? I've pretty much noticed that with a lot of people, um, with this conversation obviously being so much in the limelight due to the COVID-19 and everything that it's done to pretty much bring the world to a pause. Even a lot of people who are in support of vaccines who, as Hirsch was saying, you know, take them where required and follow the guidelines that are there. We're not talking about conspiracy theorists here at all. But even with them more so, I've, I've started to hear a lot of conversations where with globally how they're seeing how the virus is being handled, um, even how things are going on in the States, I've heard people say, um, you know, I'm sure, but I, I'd be down to take it, but I wouldn't be the first in line. I definitely, mm -hmm. you know, stand at a much uh, further distance and just keep a watchful eye on how things are going, because obviously there's that distrust, as we were saying. And, a lot of times it's it's valid, you know. We don't know where this is coming from. This virus is mutating at a fa at a rate where it's just extremely fast, obviously, and the whole world is struggling to adapt to it. 
um, yeah. as it's doing what it's doing right now. So I don't think it's unfounded for people to have their concerns. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, uh, that means that they are an anti-vaxxer or anything like that, but mm-hmm. obviously those voices also start to get amplified in a time like this. And if you do your due diligence to weed out, you know, those who are for the conversation aren't really, then you start to see that there's a lot more sound logic going on with that type mm-hmm. of thinking. Yeah. Laron, you want to bring us home? Anything you would add? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, with this discussion about vaccinations, there was a discussion happening prior to the, this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic, with uh, anti-vaxxers questioning the safety of vaccines. Uh, mm-hmm. Most notably, there is uh, Robert De Niro, I think, who, um, I don't know if he identifies as an anti-vaxxer, but he definitely has been one of the loudest voices in saying he doesn't believe that vaccines are safe, or some vaccines are safe. I, I believe there is even a an article I read some time ago where he offered $100,000 to anyone who could provide empirical proof that vaccines are safe. That uh, discussion has bled over into the coronavirus discussion, naturally, because they're trying to develop a vaccine now for coronavirus. And I think uh, when we talk about the Black community, um, education is very important for us. Yeah. It's very, very important. This is a discussion that we really need to get past the he said, she said part of it and really get to the facts because it is life or death. It is a very important discussion to have. I'm one of those people who I'm not as ed- educated as I should be on the topic. Like I see people saying things for and against it, as we all have, I'm sure. I've, I've gotten a number of vaccines. Uh, even when I moved to North America, there are a number of vaccines that I had to, to take in order to just move. I believe in vaccines, um, but... When you see people like De Niro making a case that some vaccines aren't safe, it does make you wonder, it makes you question your way of thinking because he's a he's a sensible man, a very uh, reputable person. So it's like, okay, if he's questioning this, then I should look into this, right? Um, with coronavirus, what really uh, concerned a lot of people was uh, when they were initially talking about developing a vaccine, there was a gentleman, a doctor, a French doctor, I believe, and he just explicitly said, we should test out these vaccines or this first uh, run at developing a vaccine. We should test it out in Africa on black people. I was like, hold up. Whoa. A lot of people were like that, like really like just Africans. Like you just want to test it out on black people. Naturally in those, when you hear things like that, it it raises an eyebrow like, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That turns people off. Yeah. People are very, you know, skeptical of that. And, uh, just generally, apart from the black and white thing or black and apart from the, the race factor, um, if someone's developing a vaccine for something as significant as coronavirus, yeah, you, you, no one would want to be the first person to be on the front line testing it out, right? Mm-hmm. You want to see how it works first, but someone has to be first, right? Mm-hmm. So these are discussions we need to have. We need to make sure that it's safe. We need to make sure that people are educated. Because there is a conversation happening, and it's a very, very important conversation. It is life and death, right? Because we have mm-hmm. a, a virus right now that's still very much alive, very much uh, impactful in our lives mm-hmm. that we need, to, we need to address, we need to take care of, and we need to um, conquer this virus. So it's a yeah. conversation that we need. We need a, education needs to come first. We need, we need facts. We don't need speculation. The internet yeah exacerbates a lot of this misinformation that spreads. So we need to 
find a place where we we can um, get facts and um, yeah. be very be very selective where you get your with regards to this issue. I'll encourage yeah. anyone that's looking into this, and we all should be looking into it. Be mm-hmm, very yeah. very selective and careful. Yeah, and I'll just I add think- that uh, I need to hear from Sanjay Gupta. Not Robert De Niro family. <laughs> I need to. This kind of stems from our conversation about celebrities. Our celebrity. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I really don't care what De Niro or Jim Carrey. I think has been critical. Yeah. And, uh, I remember Jim Carrey for the mask from the mask. I'm not trying to disrespect or discredit the man, but like I need my vaccine vaccine information from someone else. And I wanted to touch on something. I think Laron, you're alluding to is like from the black community. We do need to or even minority communities, we do need to educate ourselves more. But that distrust with the medical community stems from experiences that some of us do have, right? So this yeah. is not unfounded distrust. Sometimes we are told like doctors um, know the best, they, they have the best intentions for you. And a lot of people have had very traumatic experiences with the medical community, right? So mm-hmm. doctors are humans, they can make mistakes. If you see any suspicion there, there's a re- there's a story behind that suspicion. And I always think to myself that usually is the case. See, when uh, even in this vaccine uh, conversation, if you're going to a different country, you see a doctor tells you, hey, you're going to this country, you need vaccinations here. But they tend to explain that. Right. So they sit down with you. They say there's higher risk. This is what you need. And generally, I find people are like, OK, yeah, I see your logic behind recommending that vaccine. I'm traveling to this country. Let me take that vaccine so I can avoid these health issues, right? And Mm -hmm. that's where that conversation needs to be elevated. We need more people seeking out this information, talking to their doctors and understanding the importance of taking these vaccines. Um, I wouldn't even even eat something that you didn't explain to me. you You can't even just bring a box of food to me and be like, take this food. So injecting something into my body you you best believe you have to like explain it or i'm gonna have to seek uh, education around it um and our communities have a distrust for a reason we we have bad experiences with the medical system so it's especially important for us to uh do some education and advocate for ourselves yeah and not take that for granted especially especially in today's age right where the advent of information and internet is so readily available that there's no excuse for us not to be looking into these things in, in, in greater detail right as well depend no matter what what stance we take whether we're in favor of vaccines or whether we're not in favor we're going to end it there gentlemen thank you so much for your time today thanks for again as always your perspectives are always appreciated and it always makes for a good conversation and for our listeners thank you for tuning into today's episode and we want to give you an even bigger thanks for the support that we've been receiving up to this point i think we're three episodes in Hirsch, and we're at about a thousand listens or a thousand downloads which is yeah. incredible which is yeah. incredible so i think that's something to, to something to be to be proud of from our standpoint but also something that we're so grateful for from from the community we hope you found this this episode insightful we hope it made you think and we look forward to having you join us for our next episode be safe everyone and again support goes a long way if you enjoyed what you heard on today's episode of say word please comment share and subscribe again tune into the conversation on instagram around vaccines we'd love to hear from you all these simple steps go a long way in terms of support be safe everyone